the unlucky frog gaming podcast you're joined by some of your usual hosts uh, myself tom mannering uh, ben porter and yep. hello and our very own callum flint otherwise known as lanky santa hello hello so this hello. is a, a bit of an unusual one um because we're kind of recording this after the fact um so yesterday we ran our first fifth edition dungeons and dragons game of frogs in Faerun. Uh, which we did record, um, but due to some technical issues, we don't have a recording. So we thought we'd do another recording to have a chat about it—a uh, little informal chat. Yeah, we. Um, I think I think it was maybe a little bit of the amount of processes we were running to stream yesterday, and possibly also just uh, Squadcast uh, not functioning so well during a live stream. So. We had to part way through the stream, abandon Squadcast, which is what we were using to record, and then we jumped onto Discord. So it's a bit stressful in the Porter uh, household last <laughs> night. I always get this kind of image of you and Charlotte kind of dashing around each other, like flicking between things, trying to get stuff working, and sort of it's that almost kind of cinematic thing of you're you're swapping wires around and trying to even though there's no wires involved but <laughs> that's uh, i mean it's it's fairly accurate as to to what happened yeah but once once everything got going it was fine so I, I, the, the good thing is going forward i think we do have a a, a game plan for what we're going to do because um I, we didn't have any issues after we switched to discord did we so no i'm hoping that it uh it's a bit more uh reliable for, for the next one so we ran session uh one of uh frogs in Faroon, which was the uh cave of shadows uh, and we introduced our intrepid uh Misadventurers, I suppose, is the the best term I can think of for them at this juncture. Uh, they're certainly not heroes. That band of miscreants. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously, there was a few more of us playing. We had uh, Charlotte uh, and Josh were also with us playing, um, but in uh, in the interest of not having too many chefs in the kitchen for tonight, we thought we'd just have a, a three man team. Um, so let's get to, let's get off from the beginning. Uh, how did you guys find the session? Uh, do you want to start, Callum, since you've probably got some strong opinions? <laughs> uh, well, you'll understand why I'm saying this just now. I enjoyed it. Like, Despite what happened to my character, I enjoyed it. I thought I had uh, a lot of fun doing what I was doing. Um, I usually end up playing clerics, so the way that I approached the session was a bit different. Uh-huh. Um, but the way it went, despite my experience, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear. You, you get to, just to, to clear uh, to um, to clarify rather, uh, Cal- Callum's playing a monk and was down twice uh, during the session. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had three combats across the the session. So to put a bit of context to it for those of you that weren't able to to catch the live stream, uh, our four uh, intrepid uh, miscreants uh, have taken a job uh, in the. Forgotten Realms in the nation of Kalimshan to investigate the uh, so-named Cave of Shadows, 
Um, on arrival there, they uh, met a, a group of orcs that were uh, bothering uh, an elderly merchant. Uh, after uh, rescuing him, in inverted commas, uh, you went into the cave and have explored one wing of the cave, encountering uh, another orc and his, uh, his dire rat companion, and also besting a rather fearsome ogre uh, and another orc along with him. Uh, unfortunately, along the way, uh, Callum's monk, uh, Chen, uh, got taken down twice in two of those fights by the orcs with the spears, uh, which was rather unfortunate, uh, but it's just the way the dice go sometimes. Um, but I thought overall, you actually did uh, surprisingly well. The the ogre fight was, was certainly no pushover. Um, and with the exception of Chen's uh, poking, uh, you made pretty good work of it. Uh, I, th- I think so. I think especially considering that um, uh, I can't I, I can't speak for Josh, but certainly myself, Callum, and Charlotte were were all playing classes that we we hadn't before. Um, and uh, what one of the things actually that um, that I spoke about. Uh, with Charlotte um, after the session was, um, like of, of all of us, she's got the least um, experience of playing role playing games. So um, she she had to uh, uh, get a little bit more uh, tuition from you, Tom, than the rest of us did. But but what I was thinking was that for a stream, that actually is quite a useful thing because ha- having a novice within the group means that you as the GM are able to explain how the game works without having to go out your way to do that. But that just comes about quite naturally. Yeah, um, I kinda I found that to be very much the case because I hadn't really thought about it, but as we were kind of going through there were certain mechanics that we started to see. So we saw like uh the ogre making the grapple attempt on Chen when he f- threw him off the bridge. Uh, mm-hmm. We had death saves also from Chen, uh, so we got to see those. But then, from from uh, Charlotte's point of view, for her character Maris, she was throwing a lot, quite a lot of magic around because she's the the primary spellcaster. Um, so she was using things like Thorn Whip um, to attack people and to sort of control the battlefield a little bit as well. Uh, so it was quite nice to have sort of uh, Charlotte can almost act as sort of the audience perception for people that don't have yeah. the breadth of experience of, of D&D that some people do. Uh, and I mean, in this day and age, there's a lot of places you can, uh, you can you know, get access to beginner D&D streams, but uh, it certainly doesn't help. To, it doesn't uh, hurt to have that, that aspect as well. Uh, I think so. And it, even, you know, with how ubiquitous a game like D&D is these days, there's still always going to be someone who is completely new to it, and I, I, th- I think that when when you're doing a, a stream, you you obviously want you want as many people to be able to access your stream as possible, don't you? So so having someone on the stream who's not too far off entry level, I think, is always valuable for that. And I think I think going forward, um, you know, even if we stream other games. I would always, um, from now on, try and find someone who's a relative novice to be part of the party, so that you have that mm-hmm. element there. No, I think that's a that's a fair point. Um, I think it does it helps as well. And I mean, for me, to to be completely honest, I haven't played or ran a lot of Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons. 
Um, as much as my roots are in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, fifth edition is fairly new to me. Uh, I was sort of vested more in Pathfinder. So even during the stream, there were a couple of times where as we were doing things, I kind of had the rule book in my other hand and I was sort of uh, furiously flicking back and forth. And even at a few points, the stream, uh, the people on the stream sort of offered a little bit of help um, with a, a couple of rules calls, uh, which was really helpful for me, uh, not yeah. having to do that, <laughs> that bit of research as well, uh, which is quite good when you're uh, you're GMing. I never really even considered that aspect of it, but it is good. Um, so it's it's quite interesting. We'll, we'll talk quickly about the characters that, that you guys have kind of come up with. Um, so we mentioned, obviously, Charlotte there. So Charlotte's uh, playing uh, Maris, a half-elf druid. Um, quite a mysterious uh, sort of character uh, in the party. Partially, perhaps, because that's how Charlotte wants it. Partially because she's not quite fleshed out uh, everything about the character at this stage, which is fine. I think yeah. it's it's fine mm-hmm. to let a ca- character kind of organically develop and feel them out as you go. You know, you don't have to go in with uh, with everything locked and loaded. Um, but I thought her character was really useful. Uh, not only was she uh, able to heal both yourself and Chen um, at points during the game, but she has that really useful uh, Thorn Whip cantrip, which not only deals damage, but it gives you some elements of control on the battlefield. So when you were in combat, she could kind of move enemies uh, and still stay at range. Um, and she wasn't uh, wasn't too bad with a scimitar as well. She, uh, she dealt out a little bit of damage to the ogre with the scimitar. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to seeing what that'll do. I know from my own personal experience that druids are that they're alongside monks in in classes that can get quite brutal uh, in the uh-huh. later levels for for what they can do. Um, then we've got uh, the the counterpoint to that is uh, is Josh's uh, halfling rogue uh, Godel, uh, who also was surprisingly effective um, getting his little sneak attacks off. Um, he's playing a kind of shifty, artful dodger style uh, halfling conman, uh, but he's not. Uh, he's no pushover in combat, and he was dealing out quite a bit of damage, uh, getting in the front line with yourself uh, and Chen, uh, and doing some some nasty shanking. Uh, and you're seeing a theme. So the characters aren't necessarily heroes in the traditional sense. Um, you know, we've got kind of a mysterious druid. We've got this uh, very shifty halfling um ben what about about your character do you want to tell us a little bit about him as well yeah so um i'm, I'm playing a dwarf uh which like to people that know me will be no surprise at all that's um just a slobber dwarf <laughs> um but i i i did decide to go with a class that i haven't played before um and i went with uh the the barbarian um, as as far as far as the actual backstory for for Morgrim, without um, giving away too much to to Callum, um, uh, he he's he's running away from his his past, and he he's a he's a bit of a thug, and he's laying low in the in the the the, the southern part of the the continent, um, but the uh, like. When I when I was throwing to together the the character, I'm I'm a bit of a like a bit of, a bit of a sucker for a a western, and I quite like uh quite like the sort of genre tropes of the western, like you mm-hmm. know redemptions. It's a big theme in in westerns, mm-hmm. but there there there's also a, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Unforgiven. 
Clint Eastwood film. I have. What Unforgiven's described as the anti-Western mm-hmm. because it goes the opposite way from the usual genre trope of you have a, a like a character who's quite downtrodden. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 goes from the, the the equilibrium of his crappy life, farming pigs. Um, he's drawn. He's he's asked to do one last job, and and where you reach the the sort of apex of the story, the point where they would have like their their big showdown and their redemptive event, he instead falls back into being a bad man. Um, and I I, I kind of like uh, the idea of a of a character that 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 sort of stands between those two tropes that could kind of go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's what I was thinking with Morgrim, and that's why I, um, I came up with the backstory that I, I did for him. Because whereas I think like like Josh kept saying last night that he was enjoying being a bad guy, um, and he was really playing up to that and like you know constantly trying to steal and things like that. I quite like the idea that um, because I, I don't necessarily think that like the the neutral alignments are evil. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a moral grey area mm-hmm. and what I quite like is the, the idea you've got these four characters that really could end up anywhere mm-hmm. in the story because they don't they don't really have a fixed alignment if that makes sense I, I kind of get the, the feeling uh, from most of the characters that they're kind of a bit of a crossroads in their life you know they're, they're a bit directionless they're, they're, they could go one way or the other um, you know, depending on how how the the dice land um, for them, so I'm quite interested to see you know how that does pan out uh, in the long term. Um, but I, I do know what you mean. I think that's a that's a good kind of background to build yourself up from um, and see where that kind of leads down the line. Um, and what about yourself, um, Callum? John, tell us a little bit about Chen. So I came up with Chen as a as a bit of a different character to what I usually play. Um, so as I said, I usually play clerics, and clerics are usually fairly head-on, um, bit of a tank with a giant hammer and the ability to heal things. So mm. this is a bit different in that he's very sneaky, doesn't wear a lot of armor, and he tries to keep to the shadows and that kind of thing. The th- thought process in terms of coming up with his backstory was a bit more along the lines of how do you put a character with a kind of martial arts style background into kind of westernized world so mm-hmm. obviously the, the one of the fairly common things that i found when i was looking up details to do with monks is that there's a monastery that is on the western shore of where we are i can't remember the name of the place though um of Kalimshan or Faerun. Or slightly further north, uh, Candlekeep. There's a monastery in Candlekeep. Okay, yep, yep. I know. Uh, which is, seems to be where most of the monks seem to come from, but I wanted to go a little bit different with it. So I had to find a bit of a reason for why he'd be from a more oriental style world and then mm-hmm. come over, kind of try and keep the kind of, um, I don't know, like original martial arts style movie type feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so the character himself is very. Uh, he's a bit secretive, keeps to himself. He doesn't really know the world outside his monastery that well. He spent most of his life that he remembers uh, living in this monastery, being trained up. Uh, the backstory itself will become apparent as the, the journey goes on. I don't want to give too much of that away. 
he's an interesting character and it'll be fun to try and share that in bits and pieces mm -hmm. yeah kind of uh, drip feed it yeah exactly drip feed it like a jigsaw puzzle so you can figure yeah. out when he's actually trying to keep things to himself and be honest mm -hmm. um so there's the kind of two different sides of it like when does he want to give away this story that he's made up that mm -hmm. he's happy to share with people and what his actual backstory is okay yeah that'll be quite uh, cool so there's that kind of um he has this thought in his head that he wants to keep his actual history to himself, doesn't really trust anybody apart from the people he knows inside the monastery, the people he's been training uh, training with, um, and the people who saved him, or uh, kind of sharing parts of himself and letting people assume that he's something else than what he actually is. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's, it's trying you. to walk this line and not give too much detail away, but you kind of know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally, totally down with you. I think what what one of the things I found really interesting about the session last night was that it was quite interesting seeing you all sort of shine in your own ways with your characters. So you mentioned sort of uh, Charlotte's Druid using the Thorn Whip and and obviously uh, uh, Godel's uh, stealth attacks, but I think also one thing that I was quite surprised at was when you you sort of ambushed the orc in the cave with the diorat. So you kind of had uh, Godel scout forward. And then sort of taking his prompt, you all kind of leapt out, surprised uh, the orc. And uh, realistically, that combat was very one-sided. You know, before he'd even had a chance to act, he was he was pretty much on his backside. Yeah. Um, and I think equally um, for Morgrim, uh, your character, Ben, the, the way you were kind of up front, you were using your rage, you were soaking up the hits, um, you know, being quite an intimidating presence. Um, I mean, even from the, the word go, you were kind of trying to uh, sort of, kowtow the the orcs and i think it was only you only missed the the difficulty on your intimidate by a couple um when you tried to do that so that was quite nice to see sort of the characters using their different abilities and then for chen when he uh when he did unfortunately get flung into the room you still managed to use your acrobatics and kind of do a, a sort of cat-like landing um and avoid any any sort of damage i think that was quite nice to see see the characters doing what they're supposed supposed to do because it can be quite tricky sometimes to get every character a chance to kind of flex what they're good at yeah. um so i think it was quite and i don't pretend that was any skill on my part i think it was uh it was just a bit of luck uh and you guys obviously um utilizing your characters in the right way as well uh um, there's always that danger um like they, they talk about um like in board you know, like cooperative board games like they call it quarterbacking don't they um and i i feel like it, it almost needs um its own term in D and D because it's like um, you you know we've, we've all been in a game where you've got the one guy that's like hogging the limelight mm -hmm. and he's mm -hmm. he's wanting his character to constantly do his thing but you you need you need to um you need to like you were saying you need to give everyone their their moment to shine don't you yeah I think it's really important um as as players and GMs I think that's kind of part of the social contract. That you know, you give everyone a chance to to have their moment. I mean, I I have a bit of a, a running joke that I've had for as long as I've been role playing that, you know, you, you can get some people who will who will sort of hog the limelight and they will uh, make these really you know quite quite munchkiny power characters uh, that can do everything and and they demote everybody else in the party to basically bag carriers, you know, that are just <laughs> logging around the stuff for them. Um, it's it's a sort of reference I've used a couple of times when I've had a character who's been essentially demoted to to bag carrier because they're either not fit for the the part of the adventure they're in. Uh, the classic example being barbarians at a wedding, 
Um, which you could potentially have some fun at, but if you want that wedding to go off well, the barbarians are probably going to be problematic. Um, or, it, or it will end up like Attila the Hun. Yeah. <laughs> he, had, he had an aneurysm or something, yeah. didn't he? Because he drank so much. I... <laughs> um, or yeah, as, as I say, you just end up sort of uh, phased into the background, you know, just, just holding the, the gear for the, the characters who can do something. So it is a, it's a tricky line that I think you have to walk as players and, and something that the GM has to keep an eye on. But it wasn't something I, I felt I had to kind of worry about um, with the game last night. I thought you guys all, all gave each other uh, ample opportunity. It was unfortunate that Callum's was having issues with his mic, so he was kind of uh the the silent protagonist almost um it was just responding to to other people but hopefully next week we don't have that issue yeah i think the the monk character himself is going to be quite quiet anyway so in terms of actually hearing my voice it's not that really that relevant oh that's good it plays into (laughs) the uh it's into the build a little bit then yep exactly Uh, yeah so i think um Looking at it all, I, I thought it was quite uh, technical issues. Notwithstanding, it was a it was a successful game. Um, not to toot my own horn. Um, one thing I'm quite looking forward to is we've we've based the the sessions in uh, an area of Kalimshan, which is sort of this southern uh, desert region of of the Forgotten Realms, um, which has a bit of a different flavour to the the sort of standard setting. Quite often, Forgotten Realms and a lot of other D and D games are set in places like the Sword Coast, which is your kind of Baldur's Gate. Water deep, more sort of westerny, uh, medieval type environment, uh, whereas Kalimshan's got kind of a more of a an Aladdin or a, uh, the kind of Arabian Nights style uh, vibe to it. And I think it'll be interesting when you guys get out of the caves um, to kind of explore how that world's going to treat individuals like yourselves and how you'll sort of feel about that world. I mean, Kalimshan's metro—it's quite sort of cosmopolitan. It does have uh, a mixture of races, but it's got its own very clear-cut culture um and you've even seen that kind of bleeding into the orcs that you encountered as well who are sort of from the area um so i'm looking forward to seeing how you interact with that when we do get get out of the caves and get into a bit more uh role-playing side of it as well um which will hopefully happen if not next session then probably the session afterwards um which is good as well because i think it gives you guys a chance to kind of get to grips with your characters sort of personalities as well because i always find your first couple of sessions you've got that there's like a weird sort of settling in phase where you're kind of you're trying to find your feet with the character you know get find their voice you know to be a a bit uh melodramatic about it um which i think you're doing quite well you know we're already getting a bit of a feel for for the characters um chen's unlucky (laughs) the Jonah of the group. So you just have a, a sort of homing sort of mark on him that uh, whenever I roll attacks on you, not only do they hit, but they do very high damage. Um, like Ben was saying, it's like the glass cannon of the team. It, I mean, you're not, you're not, by any stretch of the imagination, though, you're not really a glass cannon. You're, you're no, all sort of saying It shouldn't be, just your dice rolls were really yeah, good. Yeah, it's just whenever I hit you, it was it was doing kind of max to, to almost max damage each time. So it was either dropping you straight away or or, or near enough doing that whereas you've got sort of uh Morgan ben's character who i was rolling fairly low damage against and who when he's raging then halves it as well so it becomes <laughs> fairly insubstantial <laughs> yeah so he's like i'm it's but a scratch <laughs> <laughs> i'm not bullying you callum i swear it's like this is how it rolled <laughs> um is there anything else you guys wanted to to talk about off the back of the session anything else you noticed or 
Well, uh, you know, on, on the subject of uh, Callum, like just before we um, uh, we we started recording, um, and we were waiting on waiting on uh, Tom, we were we were talking about you know how wild it was that he got down twice in one session, but then the the thing that we were saying is as, as much as um, and I I really like D and I think it's a great system, but I don't think that it's a perfect system. Mm-hmm. And I think certainly um, that that really laid bare one of the the crucial flaws of a D twenty based system, right? Is that the the variance that you have within that is massive, and it, it means that, that you have these like com- completely random things do occur mm-hmm. fairly often because you had you had Callum with his absolutely appalling luck um, when he was getting attacked. And then you had like Josh rolling these ridiculous damage rolls mm. quite consistently as well. So I, th- I thought it was interesting that you had like um, you know, both ends of that spectrum that were there. But I mean, I I, I don't know, Tom. Like, what, you're you're a bit more experienced with RPG systems than me to to put it lightly. I think a- any system that uses kind of a an RNG factor, you know, uses dice or or anything to that effect's always going to have that. You're never going to get around it entirely. Um, I do think it can be very swingy. And I say this as someone who is, uh, by his own admission, very unlucky with dice rolls. Um, a classic example last night was I made uh, two D20 rolls and I rolled a one on both of them. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm notoriously unlucky, both as a GM and as a, a player, which is great when you're GMing because it means that your players more often than not will win. Um, but when you're a player, uh, it's it's problematic because your characters, you know, you try and build this uh, this badass gunslinger or this, you know, kind of gritty um, detective, and they become a laughing stock because everything they do <laughs> ends in failure. So your character concept very quickly shifts from this sort of, you know, um, sort of edge lord character to this sort of Roger Rabbit style farce uh, of a character, but. Um, you you kind of get used to that, and you can kind of adapt to it and and make it work if you if you know what you're doing. But I think any any system uh, that uses dice is going to have an element of that swinginess. Um, I think for me, from what I've seen of, of fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, what I have noticed is um, it's it's a bit softer in the higher levels than games. It's sort of predecessors, um, so Pathfinder, uh, earlier editions of Dungeons and Dragons, where you would get these really big numbers um, and the numbers would either be so high on the attack or so high on the defense that you were either always hitting or you were never hitting. And the dice roll really became inconsequential at that point because um, mm-hmm. you were either so good at hitting, you were guaranteed to, or your enemy was so good at defense that no matter how good you were, you just couldn't hit them. Um, but they've brought a lot of the numbers down. You know, they've tried to keep the numbers lower. So you've got more likelihood. But I think in a D20 system, you've always got that kind of a 1 in 20 chance that you're going to critical. So you're going to do a big chunk of damage. And we saw quite a few criticals last night as well, um, where you did see those bigger numbers. I think Charlotte got one. I think Josh got one. Um, did you get one as well, Ben? I think maybe. You might I think I did at one point. Yeah. Was it not... Um my first javelin throw yes so yeah, it was yeah. Uh, yeah so it is it, it can be quite quite swingy in that way and i think you see that even more with what are called save or, or suck or save or die checks as well where you've got 
someone will cast a spell on you or use an effect on you that can essentially completely take you out of the combat, be it because you're knocked unconscious or it sleeps you or something to that effect or it paralyzes you. Um, and that can all be quite swinging and can be down to a dice roll. So there is certainly an element of of that in there. And I, I do agree with you. You know, it was unfortunate for Callum that he got hit and then the damage dice came up and it was quite a high damage dice as well. Um, and it's it's put him on the ground. Um, when you, But then again, you've got to look at that from a tactical point of view that, well, Chen was on on his own uh, in both of those instances, um, and he, he took a risk um, by putting himself away from the party, um, yep. where people like yourself can take more damage. Um, so it's it's a tricky one. I think it's it is always going to be partly the dice roll, but I think there is an element of tactics in there and, and sort of awareness of what you can and can't do. Um, and I think that comes partially down to that finding your feet thing. You you guys are kind of still gauging what your characters can do. And what you maybe can't do. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe you can't take on an ogre on your own in a room. <laughs> Who knows? Well, I mean, I when I was looking at the characters, I knew that this story, we were limited in how much time we're going to have actually playing and how far our characters are going to be able to develop. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a character type that would develop relatively interestingly fairly early on, like within the first few levels. Mm-hmm. And from what I've seen of monks before, because I have seen other people use them, I do know that when the first few levels, they start to really kind of blossom into what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So monks can't use key points until the second level, but when they get to second level, they can start doing like dodges and kind of getting in and out and kind of um, running up to big things, hitting them, and then running running backwards to kind mm-hmm. of get out of arm's reach. So they can start doing the kind of uh, in and out type stuff. Which feels like more like what I want to be doing with the character. Yeah. So I just need to kind of not get on that too soon, like before he's able to do that. I get um, Yeah. But be ready to do that when he can do that and kind of get used to what he's supposed to be like compared to how you're supposed to use clerics, which is what I'm used to, and just kind of get used to that changing character type. Because if I started trying to use him like a cleric, I'd just die. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's one thing that you mentioned uh, last night, I think after the session, Ben, you said you're not really sure how much the Barbarian's going to be able to do because at the moment you've really got rage and hit and that's that's all you've yeah. kind of got in the in the tank. Um, but one thing I do quite like about 5th edition, certainly compared to uh, earlier editions of Dungeons & Dragons, is the martial classes do have a lot more going on as they level up so in in sort of 3.5 and third edition dungeons and dragons if you were a fighter or a barbarian you got your your sort of starting package so you got your rage or you got your weapon proficiencies and then you just leveled into nothing you know you just your numbers got higher but there was nothing there you were just you were just nebulous you got maybe an extra rage here or there you really had to take what were called prestige classes which were kind of bolt-on classes to to kind of open up any newer interest in abilities. Um, And I loved prestige classes. I was a massive fan because they were very kind of specific. They could make you a member of a specific kind of organization or a specific sort of skill set, you know, open up a specific kind of path to you. But they did did kind of push you down a very certain path that way. Um, And they did add an extra level of complexity. Whereas in fifth edition, what I like is as you level, you do tend to get new abilities quite regular. Um, which I think is quite cool. Like with the barbarian, at sort of around two or level two or three, you choose your path. 
what kind of barbarian you're going to be. So you're going to be a, a, a sort of invulnerable rager. Are you going to be sort of a totem warrior? You know, you open all these kind of options there that then give you new abilities. And even like the fighter, which was the the sort of the dullest class you could ever be, <laughs> um, which was just not fair because, you know, fighters in films and books are often quite interesting characters um you know they're doing all the cool maneuvers and things like that and they're they're on the front line um you know if you look at uh, take a, a fictional example someone like boromir would be a fighter um yeah. but he's quite a cool complex character but as a build it, it's garbage whereas in in fifth edition the fighters got quite a lot of interesting things they get things like second wind where they can kind of heal themselves during combat and, and stay up a bit more and they get sort of styles and things that um allow them to kind of open up ways to use their weapons and tactics on the battlefield um and they can take on kind of more bodyguard kind of roles or they can take on sort of a martial type role where they direct the battlefield and and become sort of more of a, a battlefield leader um so i like that about fifth edition it's it's maybe not as robust as some of its predecessors like pathfinder or or earlier dungeons and dragons but the simplicity still allows it to kind of open up and give you some cool stuff that you can do so i'm hoping when you guys kind of hit two and three definitely with with the monks and chen you're gonna see some of their abilities from their kai points and things open up yeah. but even for yourself uh for morgrim his barbarian path uh and um same for charlotte and josh's character what they can kind of do uh, I think that'll be interesting and should hopefully give you a bit more of a, a toolbox to draw from uh, than just getting angry and smacking people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's um, that's a nice little sort of recap of, of what happened and, and how we found it. Um, I think we could leave it there quite comfortably. I don't want to go into too much detail. Um, we'll be picking up again this coming Sunday. Um same time, same place uh, on Twitch. <laughs> uh, it's uh, twitch.tv forward slash unlucky frog, I think it is. Let me just double check that. Go for it. Um, unlucky frog gaming, all one word. Awesome. So, uh, and we'll be kicking that off at uh, about eight o'clock ish, uh, all being yeah. well. Um, and we'll hopefully finish off the uh, Cave of Shadows then and see what, uh, what awaits our misadventures afterwards. Um, anything else you guys want to add? Um, we, I, th I think the the highest number of viewers we got on the last Twitch stream was seventeen. That's good. Which, yeah, at, and at one time I can't remember what the overall graphic was, but uh, yeah, if if you could uh, come on the stream, help us beat that. That would be great because it's. I mean, that already exceeded our expectations, which is brilliant. I think I think especially at this time, you know, with with everything that's going on, it's a, it's nice to just go and listen to some people, have fun, bit of escapism. You know, I think we put on a reasonably good show, technical issues notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> and if you if you want to come and uh, and see uh, four uh, sort of miscreants um, argue over rubies and uh, and kill some orcs, it's a it's a good way to kill a Sunday night. Yeah. It's a good show of what sure. what people want us to do as well. Like if if they're interested in us doing this, then if you come along and and let us know that, then we can maybe try and do more of these in the future for you. Yeah, I think because like like we said um, uh, when we were wrapping up last night, as much as um, you know there is talk about um, how how uh, we're going to lift the lockdown and things like that, 
I, I think that um, I think that it's going to be difficult to get along to the clubs and things like that for for a long time yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if we can help uh, people engage with their hobby by doing this, then um, then uh, me personally, I'll do all I can to try and and if you know if we can give people a bit of levity during what's quite a bit of a a rubbish time for a lot of people, then um, then that's surely a, a worthy cause. And we and like going forward, we can, you know if there's other systems and things like that people are interested in, you know we we can experiment with them as well. Exactly, and um, I think I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there. And, and the other thing is as well, it's an excuse for us to play some some Dungeons and Dragons. So. <laughs> that's it. Yep. Yeah. All right, well, uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Tune in next Sunday uh, for more Dungeons & Dragons with the Frogs in Faerun. Bye. Bye.